Welcome back to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line, talking to the movers and shakers, the TV and filmmakers, uh, producers, writers, directors, composers, production designers, costume designers, um, sound mixers, sound editors, uh, film editors. Uh, we cover it all. And of course, our actors. Um, every Monday, you can find us right here at AdrenalineRadio.com or on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page live stream. And, of course, that's nothing exciting other than the fact you get to see my cool tablescapes every week. This week, I'm very excited. My sound engineer, Pam, brought me a gift this morning. If you're, if you're watching the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook live stream right now, you will see it front and center. She got me a Baby Yoda tote. So on today's set, I'm very excited. Not only do I have a Baby Yoda representation, but Tiny Chef also. Uh, and of course, my mascot, Anger, uh, from Pixar, is inside out. Um, but I'm very happy. Baby Yoda and Tiny Chef on the same tablescape. Uh, but that's where you can find us every Monday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, in between. I've got interviews, red carpets. Well, we haven't done any red carpets this year, but old red carpets. Um, interviews, slideshow interview, audio interviews on YouTube. Elias Entertainment Behind the Lens. Uh, go to the website, BehindTheLensOnline.net. Chock full of stuff, trailers, reviews, interviews. Uh, and then, of course, if you miss our show live on Mondays, it goes up on the Behind the Lens Online website, but it also goes out on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, all of your podcast platforms later on. And, of course... It does get archived. Uh, how long do we keep the archives on the Adrenaline Radio site, Pam? She's thinking. About five five weeks or months? Months. Okay. So Pam generally has five months worth of shows on the AdrenalineRadio.com website as well. Um, so you can find us everywhere. And considering that we are moving into awards season, which is kind of uncertain this year uh there's going to be a lot of content popping up especially on the website and on uh, the youtube channel uh of interviews uh one i'm looking forward to and you're probably going to hear part of it next week i thought maybe this week but i decided given our guest today we're going to go with a comedy theme this week uh should hear brian tyler Composer Brian Tyler talking about uh, composing the score for Clouds. I think I'm going to run that next week on the show for you. But today's show, I'm very thrilled, very thrilled about. Uh, number one, joining us at the midpoint of the show. It's a free lunch express. Thanks to Lenny Britton and Sam Britton talking about their new film, the Bernie Sanders farce parody, whatever you want to call it, but it is outrageous it is laugh out loud funny and i'm very thrilled to have lenny and sam joining us so we're going to get down and dirty and and find out all about uh this fun loving uh, laugh riot uh but before that 
as many of you already know, I've been posting on social media. The re- my review is out there. Uh, Fat Man. I love Fat Man. It is a dark comedic gem. Um, it's gotten mixed reviews from a lot of critics. Um, I stand by what? Brothers, Ian Nelms and Esham Nelms, they're the writer-directors. I stand by their vision and what they've done and what Mel Gibson does as the jolly old fat man, Chris Kringle. Um, It's every aspect of this film. There is so much detail and so much thought into the making of Fat Man. I am in love with it. This is the Santa, this is the fat man, the old jolly fat man I've always wanted to see and always thought was out there. And to get it in the form of Mel Gibson, (laughs) yeah, that's just icing on the cake as far as I'm concerned. I had a chance to speak with Ian and Esham last week, um, yeah, on Thursday, uh, and go in deep um, talking about the making of Fat Man from conception to cinematography to sound to an incredible score by the Mondo Boys. Um, So without any further ado, let's take a listen to my exclusive interview with Ian Nelms and Esham Nelms talking about Fat Man. How are you? I'm so excited to be talking to the two of you. (laughs) Uh, We're excited to talk to you. We really appreciate the uh, the very kind words that you put out there into the world about this film. Thank you. I love this film. From the moment I screened it, I lo- I fell in love with this film. It is. Uh, so awesome. I love this kind of of dark humor anyway, and that's and this really is. It's a dark comedy, very dark. This is the Santa Claus I've always thought was out there. The one who's just <laughs> worn out and tired of all the crap. <laughs> well, I'm glad we found a kindred spirit in you guys. <laughs> oh, my God. What led you guys to tell this version of the Santa Claus story, partic- particularly the way you weave in all of these hot, all of these hot-button subject matters? of commercialism and greed and money and militarism and you know angry kids and ungrateful kids and disconnection and you've got it all in here and you did it so beautifully and artfully how how and why you saying that um i think it was everything we were feeling at the time we were writing it you know and i mean we've we've we came up with the idea like 14, 15 years ago, and uh, it's oddly become more prevalent as it's gotten, as it's aged, you know? Um, I think every year in the subsequent 14 years, we, we took another spin on it, and I think we put more layers and more of what, we, you know, the reflections of the world that we kind of saw around us uh, and stuff that we wanted to you know, throw out there. How difficult was writing this particular script because you could have gone in so many different directions you could have gone much darker sure if you wanted to we could have gone darker and we could have been a lot more ham-fisted with it which was it's interesting because i think if you go ham-fisted with it that it loses it it loses its power yeah in in a way it becomes a farce it becomes a farce and you don't have to care you know what i mean you don't have to give a damn about what we're saying but if you play it straight, even though it's 
ridiculous, <laughs> even though it's stupefying at times, uh, uh, just because of the, the fantastical yeah. nature. Um, but you have to, you have to, you have to, you have you're you're stuck with the issues that are in there, and you're stuck with watching these real life characters deal with them. And uh, I mean, and that's what we were after. We like, I love movies like that. I love movies that. That, that pushed me like that, and I, and I guess for us, Ian and I, like when we were crafting it in, in this specific specific tone, it felt like a cop out to tip it into stupid, into the whimsy, yeah, into oh, this is this is meaningless. Um, because for us, you know, we do have a reverence for the issues that are at, at play there, yeah, and we actually care about what, what we're saying and what the characters are experiencing, and you care and about Santa. Exactly, because honestly, in our mind, he is the sort of quintessential blue collar factory owner, widget making. You know, he's the guy that, and, 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 and with a very altruistic and optimistic view starting out. Like, you know, he, like when we were crafting and thinking about how would that, how would that government deal come about? Well, it probably would have come about a couple of hundred years ago. When the when when America says, "Hey, like we've got all this land, like well, over here is a great spot for you, and we can actually, you know, make give you a deal and start subsidizing you, and it's going to be great for you and altruism, and we're getting behind you." And of course, that deal turns into a very lucrative one for those Americans, and they start pushing and pinching, and all of a sudden he's stuck in a contract that that gets upside down, as you know, as a lot of business owners are our parents uh-huh. were business owners small business owners um so we we, we saw that uh, firsthand first <laughs> yeah well uh, the, how the bank loans and those everything just sort of piles up on you at one point if everything isn't going perfectly but i think ian sort of hit hit around the head it's like our parents you know were small business owners my dad was a professional photographer for 20 years and we saw the struggles that they went through on the on day to day they also you know had a very realistic outlook on life but our mom very much was the mrs claus and our dad very much was spirit the the out front face of the face of the business face yeah. of the business and mom was they were both professional photographers and mom was an amazing professional photographer in her own right they were both fantastic but she was the one that had to sort of crunch the books and keep everything on schedule keep everything moving forward and he would go out and just do the jobs and be the life of the party when he went out there and he was great at his job and he was great with people but without my mom, the carpet would have been ripped out of the storefront, and, and that's uh, kind of how that and that's kind of how the demise of the business went. Honestly, she left to become an, an RN, a nurse, something she'd always wanted to do, and he was left to run the business by himself. And it just literally ran itself into the ground because he was not taking care of all the books and the logistics and the day to day. That just kind of fell away, and he tried to hire people to help him, but nobody was committed to it as our mother, you know? Well, and and we really see that here because I can just see, without seeing Marianne's, Marianne, who is perfect as Ruth. Amazing. Without without Ruth being there, I can, what Mel brings to Kris Kringle, I can so easily see him just fallen flat on his face, shuddering everything, turning into a drunk and hiding in with the reindeer in the in the reindeer barn. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's probably happened a couple nights, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> he got, he got hammered and ended up in the barn with the deer. That wouldn't surprise me either. I but, mean, yeah. Our parents had a very similar relationship to them. They were also very loving towards each other. You know, they also had 
they also had those those moments, you know, whether things were hard or not. You know, they were always uh, very attentive to us as kids, and they were always very attentive to each other. Well, and we really see that between Ruth and Chris. This is one of the great things here with your casting. Mel and Marianne, you watch them together. There is that comfortableness, that ease. It feels like they have been together for a thousand years, that they know each other that well, which is why she doesn't have to say a darn thing. All she has to do is, is put her weight on her left leg and lean a little and lower her her head and that says everything it's like chris yeah, stop I mean, the funny thing the amazing thing about both of those actors is that they're so skilled i mean <clears> we're <throat> so fortunate throughout the entire film we had such great collaborators but since we're talking about those two in particular like they they're they're so skilled at, at, at drama you know yeah um they and they, they're so good at getting in touch with not only themselves but with their acting partner that man they just it, it was just a really just a magical uh, union between those two, and they they played off each other so well. And it, it wasn't something that they rehearsed either. It was literally, you know, I think they landed, they met each other an hour or so before their first scene, and then run some lines back and forth. Ran the lines very quickly, and and were were hot on the set and just like radiating you know wow seeing them on screen you'd think that they had been together forever and that they had rehearsed and rehearsed and because it's so natural and effortless it is well, a t- I think we have great yeah they would have a ball you know like there's like little ad-libs being the takes and they were throwing stuff in there i mean honestly like there would be line clubs and then we would and we all just like start laughing i think it was just the, the whole atmosphere on set when they were together was great. Uh, it just it just felt like such a comfy place to be. And she was smacking him in the shoulder in between takes, and they were horsing around, joking with each other the whole time. It was fun, man. It was really fun to watch them work together. Now, that, as you tell me this, I can so see you doing a film, the flip side of what you have, that's a, a, a pure balls-out comedy, laugh-out-loud comedy, with the two of them in the same roles. Absolutely. Yeah, there was, there's, there's that version of it for sure. Because we all know what Mel Gibson can bring in terms of comedy. We've seen it plenty of times. Espe- no, fantastic. But, you know, this plays into your whole, your structure, your essential visual structure of your three distinct palettes that you have here for your three primary set pieces, quote-unquote set pieces. You've got bad boy Billy, who doesn't like coal, and who is such a brat and has and steals so much money from his grandmother that he can hire a hitman. Then you have our hitman who already hates Santa. Why we don't know. <clears throat> no spoilers. And then we have Chris and Ruth. They're three very distinct worlds that all come together. So I'm curious about your design and your structure on the page and then bringing it to life, creating such distinction, but such synergy. I guess for us, it looked it looked like sort of three jetties running into each other, right? It was like three swirling pools of water <laughs> creating one, you know, big, bigger uh, swirling pool of water that was all that was all coming towards the middle. And, and we really liked that idea because we really liked the whole the whole idea behind our structure was to get you into and I know the trailer cuts it you know a little like you watch the trailer and you're like oh this is the barn burner and I, I, I we love how the ending plays like that and we were totally heading towards 
like tightening that noose the entire time, you know, like really, really tightening it up and getting it to be very, very, very cantankerous by the end of it. And, and, and we were, we were hoping that you would, for the first 30 minutes of the film, just get to know these people as people, get to see them in those kind of off moments and then to watch them start swirling towards each other. And then a third act of them smashing together. Yeah, we wanted to give everybody, uh, every character, some dimension, some motivation. Yeah. It's funny when you, it's funny when you, when you have to do a marketing campaign for a film. I mean, you have to let people know that hey, this is about a hitman going after Santa Claus, hired by a little boy, and that's cool, and that's what, that's what kind of sparks everybody's mind off of like, wow, this, what is this going to be? But when we first, you know, came up with the script, it was, it was the first twenty or thirty minutes. You didn't know he was Santa Claus. You just thought he was a man. Yep. And. You were getting behind the human being and trying to understand him and his plight, and he's a small business owner. I get it. Boy, that's relatable. I know someone, or I am that person. And then it was like, okay, he's Santa. And we loved that. Like, that is exactly what we were after. And then it was like, after 20, 30 minutes, you go, wait a minute. He's been Santa this whole time? Right, like, because you think he's going to become Santa, right? That he can't yeah. possibly already be Santa. Not like, like this. Like, this. make stops at the bar, and he's target practicing. Like, this is the guy who's going to become Santa. But then we've, you've, you've hopefully been, been also set up in that first 20, 30 minutes with the world that he's surrounded with so that you get, I see why that he is Santa and he's like this. I see that what the world has come from. Right. I see how it's gotten this bad, and this is where he's at. And then let's see where... Now he's trying to figure out how to get out of it. You know what I mean? How do I get out of this? How do I come around? And I mean, our whole point of this script at the end of the day is a, is a bit of a call to action, you know? Mm-hmm. It really is about one man being able to make a difference one person at a time. And I think as far as the look uh, and those three distinct palettes, Johnny Durango just brushed it. Oh, it, 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 brilliant. It, it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Johnny said, this is our... Uh, Fourth, fifth movie we shot with Johnny. So yeah. many projects I can't even remember. There's a lot of shorts and TV stuff in between, but he's just it, it, for us. He's like a third brother. Honestly, we 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 love and adore him. Um, We're so shorthand with him. He understands us. We understand him. Our production designer Chris August, um, wonderful collaborator as well, and really helped us flesh out those those uh, those different palettes and worlds. Jennifer Stroud on costumes was amazing to work with. Yeah, she she had done. It's funny talking to her. She's like, I've done a ton of Christmas movies. <laughs> and I guess I'm going to throw out all that stuff. <laughs> and she's like, I'm now throwing all that in the dumpster, and I'm starting over with you boys because I'm making we're, we're making we're making something awesome here. And she started from scratch. Well, Chris had done a ton of Christmas movies as well, uh, of TV yeah, movies. Yeah, you know, right. I just watched Trading Christmas again the other night. It was on TV in the middle of the night, and Santa Buddies That's and Santa Paws. So he threw all of that, except didn't throw any of that away for Billy's house, though. Nope. That, and that was the one part where we were like, okay, this should feel like what people expect yes. to be in its opulence and its garishness. Well, the most expected. Yeah. 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 And of course, I got to say, your set, uh, you know, your set dresser, Ian Gregg, beautiful, beautiful yeah, job. Oh, he really is great. He's great. So much detail in how the sets were dressed, what we found in Billy's bedroom, what was in Billy's house what was and wasn't in the hitman's house or in his warehouse. What, you know, the whole weathered look and the old, old accoutrement and tchotchkes around Chris's and Ruth's house. 
really nice attention yeah. to details there. Yeah, and I mean, we were so fortunate to get him. Uh, he was a late addition because we we're having trouble finding a set that uh, a set decorator because uh, it was I, I can't. It was uh, it was weird. It's like Christmas the holiday because we shot over like right before the holiday. It, not only were people <laughs> out of town, but they were already over in other cities working. You know, so it was it was it was a bit of a drought as far as uh, set dressers, but. He was out of the out of the very northeast, uh, and he had heard about the project. He reached out to us and said, "Hey, this actually looks like something right up my alley. Um, can I read the scripts and can we get into it?" And such a blessing, my God! Such a blessing that he tracked it down because he really crushed it, and, and he was relentless on on two nickels. Like he really didn't have a lot to work with. And I, you know, and look when you step into Billy's bedroom, and it's so fully realized with those wonderful even the napoleon posters and all the like oh my god toys and stuff he just yeah. nailed it right down to the artist palette on his hand while he's painting his his masterpiece <laughs> and the and the vibrancy and the selection of colors that are on on that artist palette just so spectacular and speaking of billy where did you find chance hurstfield wow Another lucky draw. Uh, we were we were searching high and low. Yeah, we were we were taking audition tapes from everywhere you could imagine. And I remember his really stuck out to us. And we went, "Oh my God, this kid is so perfect!" It, is our he, only, is he too perfect? That was our only question: was Is he a little shit? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like is he acting here? Like, how good is he as an actor? Is this his personality? So. We, we set up a Skype call really quickly with him after watching his tape and his dad, Adam, you know, helped put it together and was behind the camera, you know, uh, talking to him during the Skype, you know, and then he'd pop in front and be like, hi guys, I'm his dad, Adam. But he couldn't have, Chance couldn't have been a sweeter human being and a, a more intelligent one, especially for a kid that young, he's so aware. But he truly is precocious. Yeah. yeah. Like, we we started working with him or started talking to him about the role, and then he start, he said, hey, well, do you want me to do anything different than the audition tape? And we said, well, you know, maybe try something like this or something like that. He's like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll do it right now. And we said, no, no, you can just take a tape. Just tape it and send it to us. You don't have to do it right now. He goes, no, no, I like to do it in front of you guys. He's like, I, I want to do it for you in front of you. We're like, okay, you know, I guess we're not putting him on the spot. So we would give him little nuance bits of direction and he would turn on a dime and give us something completely new and fresh and, and wonderful um and we were like oh my god like this is the kid you know oh my god it's so between torturing the science fair winner and his, <laughs> his and it's cold condescending torture but between that yeah. and then watching him sliding on his knees in the snow yelling up at the sky <clears throat> with a lump of coal in his hand. Oh my God, I was roaring, roaring at that scene because I could so I could see my bro one of my brothers doing the same thing when they were younger. I could envision that. So funny. I mean, he was he's such a versatile actor. No, we were incredibly impressed. Yeah, and honestly, like he threaded that needle so well for us. Uh, we were really, really blessed to have him. Gotta ask you, what made you think of Mel as Chris Kringle? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it comes down. It's really it, we went and saw a screening of Hacksaw Ridge, and Mel came out to do the Q and A afterwards, and he was in the middle of like an awards run with it. Yep, and he was he was very worn down. You know, it, 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 you could see that the production that everything was going on, the awards, all the flying around, everything was wearing him down, and he looked like the weight of the world was on his shoulders and he was needing that beard and he was talking and 
it was it was, we looked at each other just like that's the guy like that that's him that's literally the character sitting right in front of him absolutely perfect casting and i i couldn't i couldn't be more thrilled and um, it's funny you were talking hacksaw ridge i campaigned so hard for an oscar for him for best director for that that oh it's amazing oh i mean amazing film it's a great film mel is just he is brilliant and a lot of people don't see that, but he is a brilliant director. Brilliant director. Well, he's, a, he's a wonderful collaborator. He was so yeah. generous with all of his knowledge with us and was such a, an inspiration on the set. I mean, he would be sitting there like, oh, like, oh, hey, you know, what do you want to know about you know, Braveheart? Whatever movie he would do, he would go through and be like, oh, I double printed frames on Braveheart. And like, double printed frames. And he's like, yeah, in certain moments. And so we double printed frames with Batman. <laughs> You know, we were, he was so generous with his knowledge and anything he could offer to lend a hand to us. And not overbearing in any way. No, it, was, it was pretty great because he would, any, anytime he had a note or a thought, he would he would literally start the conversation by saying, this is your movie, this is just a thought, feel free to just toss it away. Which was wonderful because it just, it makes you even more open to the idea, honestly. You know, yeah. there in, in 30, negative 30 degree weather, and he and I are bundled up like we're going to go summit Everest, and Mel's sitting there in his costume, you know, drinking a hot tea. <laughs> And we're fingerless gloves. Yeah, fingerless gloves. Like, no, you can go in the warming tent. He's like, no, no, you guys are out here. I'm going to be out here. I like being on set. Yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm here. I'm here if you guys are out here. And it was so galvanizing to the crew and the other actors. And everyone was. He just hung around when he wasn't shooting. In between shots, he hung around the entire time. Was six feet from the camera or six feet from us and talking to every crew member and cast member and and having a great time. And I think he just gets it right. He knows yeah. what it takes. What it takes. You yep. gotta have a, you gotta have everybody in and have that feeling, or you know, people could get grumbly. Oh man, I'm out here at negative thirty six, and like he's in there in the warming tent, living it up, or eating a cookie or whatever. And you know, he wasn't. He was outside, braving those elements in less clothes than they were. And, and Walton and Marianne were the same. I mean, Walton would be yeah. out there. We would have an opportunity for the stunt a stunt player to come in and do the part, and he's like, "Are you kidding?" He's like, this is why I'm here, baby. I want to work with Bell. And he goes sliding into the snow on his back, wanting to do that fight scene rolling around, even though we're on the just on the back of his head, you know? And Marianne was like, just give me layers. That's all I need. <laughs> he's like, I hate the cold. No, but I love this film and I wanna and I wanna be here. And she's like, I just need layers. So I mean her costume was half designed around the character and half designed about around her elements, because it was just like I hate the cold. It's like, hey, well, you know, that's great because we've got this idea that she would be wearing all these super cozy things. And she's like, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to ask you about the scoring in the Mondo Boys because this score, as, I, as I've as i said, got the Old West high noon shootout aspect to it. It's got the whole militarism with marching to battle and then this great whimsy thanks to the hitman and his hamster. So I'm curious about your work with your collaboration with the Mondo Boys and what you were looking for in a score for this one because you're melding as with your themes you're melding in these three distinct worlds. I think you nailed it right there, right? We had, you know, when we turned this when we presented this to the Mondo Boys and what a what a gift they were to us. Yeah, um, we love those, those gentlemen, Mike S. and Mike G. They attacked us with such tenacity, such relentless pursuit of perfection. I mean, I remember when they gave us their their first demo, 
And it so perfectly thread the needle. And it was for the opening track on when we were introduced to Billy in his house. It's almost exactly what it is. You know, there's not many changes to that opening track coming over the house, getting inside, Billy writing the letter. That was exactly what, almost exactly what they wrote uh, initially on their first pass. Wow. Um, but they, but they we, we had a very ambitious temp score on it, spanning about 10 different genres and 10 different films. <laughs> And they went through it, and we just went and talked to them about what we were after in there, and they came back time after time nailing it. And there were a couple of cues that were incredibly difficult because we didn't want it too much this, we didn't want it too much that. But these guys were just relentless. I mean, they paged one. There were two or three of them that were really difficult, and they paged one those like four times for us until they nailed it. And they weren't happy either, you know, until, exactly. until they were like, because they would come to us with something and say, what do you think of this? We think it might be a little this, and we'll listen to it and be like, Ah, damn! You got to go a little more this direction. Like, hey, yeah, we we thought that, but we wanted to run this by you because I thought we had some good this or that in it. And we're like, yeah, that works great. But like, age one, <laughs> yeah. But they would come in and they would, you know, like you said, like they would try to pirouette between genres from scene to scene and making it a coherent piece. That's not easy. And yeah. building themes in for its character, but also having an overall theme, also playing off of those Christmas songs. Yeah, they they. They are incredibly talented and incredibly versatile, um, and and obviously it all sounds like the same movie, which is what you're after. So yeah, yeah, we we had a great time working with those guys, and they had to they had to thread like okay, building in those western vibes so that it had a Leone type feel at the end, but then we wanted a very sparse feel to that shootout and right before because you're heading into just sound design in the shootout. Yep. Um, you know, so that you get a very realistic feel of the shootout, so that you can't go away from the shootout and say, "Boy, that shootout was fun! Didn't we have fun there?" <laughs> we don't want you to have fun in the shootout. <laughs> the shootout should be gory and disgusting, and something that you say, "Violence is revolting." God, that was horrible. Although it was entertaining to watch, it should look like a train wreck. That you're like, "Oh my God, um, that is that's not a good time." So, yeah, we we had a great time working with them and they they got our style and 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 just crafted it man it was fantastic guys this has been a pure joy and delight i love this film so much one quick thing before i let you go though the big yeah. the the big question do you believe in santa claus 200% yes. <laughs> I only heard one 200%. Oh, yeah. Well, look, I mean, you know, there was a moment where my our parents said that Santa had just come. I ran into the living room. My dad went to the door. He pointed to the heavens. I went to the door, and my hand on my chest, I could swear I saw the big man silhouetted against the moon. So, there. You just gave me the Santa Claus of my dreams with Mel, so. <laughs> well, he was he, he was, the, he was the center of our dreams as well. So I'm, glad we, I'm glad we matched up on it. It's basically our dad. <laughs> uh, guys, thank you so much. I can't wait to, to talk to you guys again in the future. Hey, we appreciate it. Same here. And we're looking forward to that. Yeah, thank you. All right, talk soon. Bye-bye. And that was... Ian Nelms and Isham Nelms, writers, directors, brothers of Fat Man. I got to tell you, I think only brothers could really come up with the shared experience of envisioning Santa uh, the way that they have with Fat Man. It is out now. See it, see it, see it. There is so much that they put into this to create these worlds. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And the last person you'd ever think of 
to play Santa would be Mel Gibson. But I will tell you, they mentioned a shootout scene. We got shades of Martin Riggs there. So Mel doesn't disappoint on, on any level, and neither does this film. It is a dark comedy, so be prepared. But I think you're going to love it. And right now, we're going to switch d- gears and get into some farce and satire and parody with Lenny Britton and Sam Britton. Hi, guys. Are you there? Hello. Uh, I'm here. I don't, don't know about Sam, but... Uh... Yes, Sam is here, too. Oh, you're both here. We're going to talk about Free Lunch Express. Oh, my. First of all, welcome, welcome. Um, thank, you. thank you for having us. I laughed myself silly watching this film. <laughs> um, That's great. That's great to hear. Beginning to end, it is the way you have broken this up into three very distinct acts that break up Bernie Sanders' life um, as a young boy and then uh, middle, say, middle of his life. Uh, when mm-hmm. he was still not working a full-time job, <laughs> when he finally got a job. And, Sam, you play uh, Bernie during that time period. And then, of yes. course, the Bernie that everybody has come to know over the past couple presidential campaigns, who is brilliantly played by Charles Hutchins. Um, <laughs> this is... I didn't know what was coming next. But you've got so much stuff so much comedic stuff packed in here and you hyper exaggerate things. Uh, there's a constant stream of Bernie getting high with Ben and Jerry, the ice cream guys. <laughs> uh, just, oh, yeah. it's, it, yeah. I, I don't even know where, where to start talking about the humor and the lightness and the tone that we get here. But let's start with, where did the idea for this come from, Lenny? Because you wrote it, but somehow I think, Sam, you infused a lot of stuff into the scripting for the character of Bernie. I'll let, uh, I'll yeah, let Len you, tackle uh, that first, and then I'll jump in, yeah. Um, the, uh, the idea came, uh, Sam and uh, our, our other partner, Bradford Broyles, and myself have been making, uh, and John Vasquez, our DP, for the last couple of years, we've been making sketch comedy um, and tackling a, a, a whole host of, of issues and, and current events. And uh, over the years, we did several uh, Bernie Bernie sketches, and they were uh, well-received and fairly funny. And uh, so one day I said, you know, he's got so much material in his life that there's a movie here. There's a Bernie movie. Mm-hmm. And so uh, discussed it with Brad and with Sam and uh, went to our executive producer and said, I think I can uh, write a, a, a movie script about his life. And she said, go ahead and do it. So I wrote a script and uh, everybody had their, their input into it. And uh, the rest, as they say, is uh, history. So, uh, yeah, I'm curious, guys. Did you do any kind of research uh, in terms of, because Bernie has a very, very full life. Of course, most of it, nobody really knew anything about his early days, things like that. And you glean a lot from his current stance and his political messaging. Um, but I'm curious if you did any kind of research and if there was anything that you felt was taboo to not 
to to avoid because it seems like you you've got you've got Hillary's emails, you've got first wife, second wife, you've got everything in here. So I'm wondering, you know, what kind of research you did, and was there anything off limits that you chose not to um, skewer? Well, I can um, I can talk about that real real quickly, Len, before um, before you jump in. Just from from my perspective, you know, when we talked about this um, early on, you know, Len always said that he wanted to make sure that he was making a comedy and that it was just something that was funny. And he, you know, already there's already so much stuff about Bernie everywhere. And as a mm-hmm. guy from Vermont, he already knew so much about him. And the the interesting part was, like you said, this middle period, people are not so familiar with him and his background and what he was doing and where he was. So that was a really, it was a great opportunity for me as a performer, because as well as people know the older version of Bernie, I got to sort of create this middle version of Bernie out of, you know, little bits and pieces that seem familiar, but then make up the rest. And I think, you know, we, we had a little bit of liberty to, use um for the same period especially some things that that you know really happened and that len was familiar with or that dug up from somewhere then other things that we got to exaggerate on or other things that we just got to straight up event because at the end of the day this is a comedy so you know we just want to make sure that we're telling a funny story and have lots of great gags and stuff in there in addition to um using some real things from his life and that's the thing about bernie's life is that there's so many surreal, crazy things in his actual life story. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's amazing that nobody's made a movie about <laughs> it, whether you know straight drama or comedy before, because he has all these like surreal, crazy things throughout his trajectory. You know, it really is a like a story that lends itself perfectly to a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I I love how the fact that, and I got to give a huge, huge, huge shout out to Jonah Britton. Uh, obviously your son, Lenny. That's what they tell me. That's okay. It's, it's up for debate. Okay. It's up for debate. Jonah as young Bernie, he is absolutely fantastic. He sets the tone and it's kind of like you, Sam, you have to kind of piggyback on the tone that Jonah sets as Ber- young Bernie and Charles has to build upon yeah. what the two of you have done. And I love because I can see how you've incorporated so much of what Jonah does into what you do and then what Charles brought into what he does. So there is a consistent tone within the character, within mannerisms, within speech cadence. Um I, I love that attention to detail, but I got to say, Jonah is young Bernie. Lenny, he <laughs> is, when he starts becoming a blood brother in his room, praying to a, to a poster of Joseph Stalin, I, I, I almost peed my pants laughing. I, I, well, <laughs> don't, I hope he isn't listening to this because he'll get a swelled head, but uh, as Sam can attest, it, it, it all starts with the accent. And, you know, uh, Bernie has a very recognizable Brooklyn accent. Yes. Uh, even though he's uh, from Vermont, he's, he's, he's kept his Brooklyn accent his entire life. Um, and uh, Jonah nailed it and Sam nailed it. And then Charles did a little bit different version, but mm-hmm. they all work together towards a, a good comic end. So I'm quite, 
quite thrilled with the three performances. And even down to the physical mannerisms, the physical expressiveness, um, you maintain a lot of that with body movement. And mm. I, real, I, I like that those little connective tissues that we get that take us yeah, that me, take us through the life. For me that was that was that was an important thing to try and get right because you know the the accent is is the thing that immediately jumps out that everybody recognizes but there's also a lot of things that he does that helps to round out the character in terms of his posture and mannerisms mm-hmm. and how he gestures when he speaks yes. and I wanted to try and include as many of that as possible so you know it brings you in and it makes it feel like a more well-rounded character and not just a caricature and, you know, also as the guy in the middle, it was kind of my responsibility to provide a bridge between what Jonah was doing and what um, Charles was doing, just to make sure, like you said, that there's consistency between the three. So the way that we shot ended up helping that a lot because I got to see what they were doing and I got to rehearse a little bit with Jonah and see what he was doing. And you're right, Jonah's so funny and he sets the tone for the whole movie. Yeah. Um, I, and then, you know, being able to like sort of bring in elements of things that they were both doing and, and infuse them a little bit to what I was doing in the middle makes it feel more like, because we really are all kind of doing our own thing. Mm-hmm. But as long as there's a little bit of each of them, you know, at least throughout the middle, then it feels like, oh, yeah, they're all connected. It's a very consistent portrayal, even though we're, we're all being, you know, crazy and <laughs> doing this ridiculous over-the-top performance. Well, and, and I have to say, you pick these these elements, the the repeated going back and forth, and I have to say, I just think Lisa Blake Richards is hilarious oh, oh, as yeah. the city oh, great. Yeah. as the city clerk, and she deadpans this every time we see you, Sam, as Bernie going up trying to collect a check, <laughs> trying to yeah. collect a check she for is... unemployment, welfare, whatever. Just yeah, she's incredible. That's one of my well, one whole, of my favorite reoccurring gags that Len wrote was that you keep running into the same clerk over and over and over who looks the same forever because like I'm from a you know smaller town where there was people there that my whole life they looked exactly the same and it just seemed like they were always there and some of them are probably still there so I thought that that was a truism <laughs> but also Lisa Blake Richards is one of the funniest people on earth she was easily the most difficult person to keep a straight face around when we were doing those ridiculous scenes. Because every time she came out, just that little look on her face or the way that she would yell next when she hit the buzzer made it nearly impossible to keep a straight face while we were doing those scenes. And every time you could hear the crew snickering behind the monitors in the back, and then everybody would bust out laughing afterwards. I just, I think she's absolutely hysterical. Well, and I have to say, the scene with the crutches is just... (laughs) (laughs) Come in on crutches And then she's like no No And then suddenly miraculously One at at a time You take one crutch away And then another and you lay them on the counter And give them to her as a gift almost Uh, Just delicious Absolutely She is amazing But Yeah she's, she's super super funny You know Lenny how hard was it because the dialogue fuels so much here. Um, in addition to the individual locations, such as for the commune. And I love how your DP, how John Vasquez edited, shot, and he also did your editing. But how he shot yeah. and the dutching of the camera. And he gave us a lot of these really great dutching, uh, dutched angles looking upward. 
uh, and kind of skewing it because that's where the whole idea of Bernie getting high all the time came into play as well. So it, it just flows so beautifully. Um, yeah, I, I, John Vasquez is a genius. He just he's a he's an incredible editor. So he shoots to, to edit, and mm-hmm. I'll tell you when you're making a small little low to the ground indie like this, having that having a DP who's shooting because he knows what he's going to get in the editing room, um, it just makes this makes everything more efficient, and so. Big kudos to uh, to John for a job well done, and uh, love the guy. And there's yeah. some beautiful, beautiful shots in here too, Lenny. Um, you know, you've, there's some really nice shots with sun flares. You've got beach locations. You have the commune location, um, some parks, and he real John really takes advantage of the natural light. And you lucked, you lucked yeah. out because it looked like the bulk of this was shot. Um, you had sun. You didn't have any overcast <laughs> days. Uh, well, the uh, we had a, we had actually one rainy day, and that that uh, was towards the end of the shoot. And when uh, we were shooting uh, Sam uh, Middleburney going up to Vermont on the bus, and you know it's raining cats and dogs in, in, in L.A. County. and uh, But uh, it actually worked out, the, the, the ambiance of, of that scene works really well, actually, with the rain. So and, and we I ha- did luck out. And I have to say, is it my imagination, the bus looked like a prison bus. Oh, yeah, it's a prison bus. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's that is, yeah. That is we, not your, that is not your imagination. Okay. That is accurate. It is, uh, it is. It might, may or may not be surprising to know that it is uh, really hard to try and find a Greyhound bus from the 1950s yeah. or 60s. So we ended up going with a bus from the right era, and we figured, you know, he would be on some rinky-dink little local bus that, you know, some company bought a prison bus and yeah. turned it into a shuttle going to... So, you know, I think for us it made sense, and also that's what we could get, so... <laughs> I think it worked out. <laughs> now, you also play a lot with Bernie talking to historical figures, um, especially once he meets up with, with Eric Roberts' character in the unemployment yeah. office, and he says, look, become a politician. You get do- campaign donations. You take the money. You run. You don't have to work. Um, and that really sets a tone. So after we've already had all of these uh, meetings in, in Bernie's mind with Joseph Stalin, um, which each one is is as funny as the next, and so much of that credit goes to Robert William Campbell, who plays Stalin. Oh yeah, right. uh, but For I sure. I also love how you how you really dive into you the use of color and reds for the reds communism. <laughs> yeah, especially yeah. Yeah, since we, we also. We have a we have a really amazing um, gaffer uh, who who her and John are Lisa, like hive mind yeah. together, um, and and like he would you know Len would say what he wanted in a scene, and John and Lisa would would light it, and we'd all step in and go wow, and especially with the reds and stuff, they just they just work so well together, and I feel like they have such an understanding of what Len wants. Um, tonally and, you know, look-wise and everything that um, it, it was always so fun for me to walk into it to see it and go, man, like just with the naked eye, this looks so cool. I can't wait to see what it looks like on camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, it looks great. And I like 
the progression of the visual tonal bandwidth, how we really have the vibrancy and the colors of Bernie at home in Brooklyn with his mother and father and the greens and, and those kind of 50s colors and then the contrast with the red, the communism red. And then we move into uh, the 60s and the 70s with Bernie at his commune and then figure out how to pull scams so he doesn't have to work and, and hanging out with Ben and Jerry as they come up with different names for ice cream. Um, and and, that, and you, it's much brighter with yellows and sunnier tones. And then you get yeah. into the, the older Bernie and it's, it's clarity, very natural light. Very much natural mm-hmm. light, and you shy away from the reds and the yellows. And I love that progression because it matches his progression through life from what we mm-hmm. know and what we see. A vi- again, a really nice attention to detail. Thank you. Uh, well, you know, we, uh, we really we appreciate that because I know that for yeah, Lennon myself, uh, as you know, for me as an actor, Len as a director, and for both of us as filmmakers, the details are what we're interested in, and I think the details are what make movies great. It's all the little things. It's the the changes in tone. It's the mannerisms. It's the changes in color. You know, you can you can paint with broad strokes, and that's great. But I think the details are really what what brings the story to life. And so, like that, those are always important to us. And thank you so much for. You know, taking note of and all we, that. I, I think we'd be, we'd be remiss if we didn't give a shout out to our art uh, art department. You know, Josh Greco and our costumer, yeah. uh, costume designer Lucy Song. I mean, they, they just did phenomenal, and it just it just fit together in a way that was almost uh, we used, we joked about it because we'd say, you know, this is going so well, we're going to get thunderstruck, and we were the, <laughs> one of the last films to wrap before COVID. By the way, wow, so, you know, yeah, yeah, we had our. Yeah. We, uh, party, and then the next day, everything was shut down. So we got in right under yeah. the wire. So, wow, yeah, you. Yeah, so, so you were doing. Somebody edit- was looking out for it. So you did editing during yeah. COVID, during lockdown. Yep. Yes. Yep. yep. Uh, well, an amazing job, and it is. You take us all the way up, just before the you know the ultimate election cycle that's really started in the summer. Um, mm-hmm. you, you really bring it. Very, very present. And some of the the great tells that you have going on here, um, meeting with Bill and Hillary Clinton and Bill sitting off to the side and <laughs> and, and just and, and hilarious. Don Frankel is great as Bill Clinton. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's so good. He, he's, he's a he, professional he's, he's a, uh, Bill impersonator. Oh. He's got the voice, and the, and there again, yeah. the mannerisms, the voice, and the way that you've got him shot in profile works really, really well. Uh, but then you've got you've got some other, you know, you've got Eric Roberts popping up. You've got Kevin Sorbo as George Washington, because <laughs> yeah. yeah. you know Bernie needs inspiration from somewhere. So yeah, get it from George Washington. Um, yeah, that was that was. And we've worked with Kevin a lot. He's great. And uh, we also, uh, Malcolm McDowell, we'd be remiss if we didn't say, you know, how, how, Malcolm McDowell is the narrator. That yep. just It's a home run, I think. But, well, uh, and I, yeah. was, I was just going to bring Malcolm up because of the structure. You have this structured with Malcolm as the narrator sitting there drinking, sipping his cognac in front of a fireplace. And he's reading this like a bedtime story. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this yep. and this, I think, is a great approach. And you have him interject every so often. Uh, what led you to that approach um, of storytelling, Len? Well, I, we needed a we needed a narrative because just to to, to hold the whole thing together. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a fairly lazy writer, so uh, <laughs> the easiest thing to do uh, sometimes is just to, to throw a narration in. And uh, so it worked, I thought, and I tried to write his dialogue in kind of a Shakespearean. Uh, sonnet, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that comes across or not. But um, and then when we got uh, ready to shoot the thing, uh, we we you know we all talked about it. Brad, Sam, and I we all said, you know, who can we get that would really give this gravitas um, and and yet be funny? And and we all said Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, he he's not a big fan of Bernie Sanders, so he immediately agreed to do the role. So. <laughs> I and mean, he is hilarious. And yeah. you may not have hit a sonnet structure like Shakespeare, but you really nailed like a Dr. Zeus kind of cadence here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's fair. Yeah, I, that's fair. I, I also, just, I, in, interestingly enough, originally it was going to be more voiceover with him, and he was just going to be on camera at the beginning. I think that was the original version of the script, right, Len, that he was going to be voiceover mostly and on camera at the beginning, at the end, to sort of bookend the film. But he was he was yeah. so good. And then Len and I think John made the decision later on to intersperse him throughout the film instead. And it just, I think it just added so much um, and it helps to tie the, everything together more. And he's so funny and he just adds so much gravitas to everything that I think it, it definitely turned out for the best. But it's one of those, you know, little things about filmmaking where sometimes you just kind of see it in front of you and you go, oh, this is it. And then that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, how challenging was it for you when you were writing and then when you're bringing it to life on camera to find an even tone, an even satiric farcical tone so that you didn't go so far into the level of ridiculum that nobody would believe anything in there. And <laughs> this is actually predicated on factual things um, that, you've oh, just, yeah, all... that you've just heightened. Well, comedy works it. Comedy works when there's a grain of truth to it, obviously. Right. And, uh, and, and, and in all of these things, I mean, we were on the shooting the stuff, and, and a lot of people that didn't know Bernie's background, I'd you know, look over him and said, I'd look at them and say, this actually happened. He actually got thrown out of a commune when he, was a, you know, <laughs> when he went to Vermont. And they go, no way. And I go, oh, yeah. But to your, to your point, I, you know, I, I, once you get – things right on the page, which I think we had a script that we didn't deviate from almost at all. Um, and uh, I think when, when you know, my wearing my screenwriter's hat, I think that when you get it right on the page, it makes the directing job a lot easier. And uh, so, you know, I, I used to joke, I'm said, all I do is say action and cut. Everybody else does the hard work on the film shoot, you know, from all the department heads to the actors to the other producers. So, you know, I got the easy job. <laughs> well, I mean, I love the tone because you, you could have so easily gone so far to the extreme. Um, but you have, it's a very evenly balanced tone. And a lot of the credit also goes to John with his editing. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Because if you, if you hold 
some of some of the scenes too long, it's going to fall flat. If you don't hold them long enough, you're not going to get the joke. Uh, right. So you really walk that that fine line and find a great balance here. And of course, something that helps. I got to say, the needle drops in here are hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> Who's responsible for those? And how much of your budget did that eat up? My God. The uh, Sam. Uh, I'm sorry. Could you say it again? Uh, your needle drops are just. Uh, the the individual songs, your needle drops are fantastic here. Oh yeah, yeah. You know who's yeah, responsible yeah, 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 yeah. for those, and you know these uh, they're not obscure. So these are pricey things when you're looking at budgeting for licensing. Yeah, well, the, the yeah. Uh, music music script, does not come but, cheap, and um, you know both for the the title song and songs throughout the film. Uh, there's some things that just fit so perfectly. You feel like whatever the cost is, we have to have it. And between Len and John, a couple of the songs were put in as placeholders while they were editing. Mm-hmm. And they were so good that we just thought like, all right, we, we have to get those. <laughs> and if we go a little bit over budget for those, it's, you know, it, it is what it is. Because if something fits that perfect, then there's not going to be anything else that's going to make you as happy. So we were lucky that um, the the funky town license holders all agreed to let us use it because that's the other thing is that you can't just go to somebody and say hey we've got this money we want to buy your song rights they have to approve you yep. for you know whatever the specific usage is so we were very fortunate that they thought what we were doing was funny and agreed to let us use their stuff as well as um, some of the other songs because like you said it really does add a lot to the scenes when you've got like the exact right soundtrack in the background to help bring everything to life and to help punch the jokes a little bit more. And this is also a film where the end titles are everything. The end titles are great. (laughs) Visually, uh, you know, visually, um, uh, the really great color wash that goes over everything, the end titles. This is one of those films where, while I believe in this religiously anyway, you sit through the credits to the very, till mm. you know, the house lights come yeah. up and the screen goes black. This is one of those films where, oh, you really want to sit through the credits. It's kind of, it's like a, it's like a Marvel yeah. movie. Yes, you want to sit through the credits because there's something yeah. coming. That's, that's, uh, well, if you, if you want to title that on the top of our review that this is exactly like a Marvel movie, I think we would be totally <laughs> fine with that. Well, the, the, I'll have to say quickly that, that my favorite scene happens at the end credits, and that's when all three Bernies yes. uh, are together in a psychiatrist's office and they're bitching about each other. And so if you leave early, you won't see the best, in my opinion, oh, best scene in the film. Seeing, yeah. the, seeing the three Bernies together is worth its weight in gold because that's where you really see how each one builds on the other in character. Yeah. And I think that that really just, that's the icing on the cake here. Absolutely. That was also one of the most fun scenes to film because, you know, otherwise we don't really have anything together for obvious reasons. So it was really, really fun to be able to just sit down with both of the other actors and also just the the subject matter of that scene and the general premise of it is so silly and so fun. It was just an absolute blast to shoot, and I'm glad that it ended up in the film somewhere. Uh, you know, I've got to ask you guys, casting is everything with this film. You've got to be able to, not only for characterizing Bernie, but for all the supporting players. 
Um, I know Elaine Ballas is on the show next week. Um, yeah. To talk about the film. I love Elaine dearly. Um, yeah. So yeah. she's on next week. But you bring in, you get these cameos. You get Eric Roberts, who, if he hasn't gotten his, his Guinness World Record yet for the person with the, in the most films I, I i don't know this is about the 15th film i have seen in the past month that eric is in uh, yeah it's funny when we when we got to the studio when we were shooting at remit studios which is this great little um studio in like i think the filmar area that caters to indie films the guy who owns the studio saw him there and gave him up and gave him a hug yeah he's been there shooting so many projects <laughs> <laughs> but how how challenging was it to cast this film? Because you know you've got you've got a Hillary Clinton, you've got a Bill Clinton, you know you've got historical figures like Stalin, like uh, uh, George Washington. Then you're you've also got current political figures in there like AOC, um, and you've got to get somebody who can grab something of these people uh to make mm-hmm. it to give it some yeah some amount of believability so i'm curious how well, challenging it, it was it's a combination of people that you know sam's been acting uh in in la for a while he he knows a lot of these people they're they're friends and, and colleagues of his and cara sullivan our casting director did a great job filling in the the other pieces we we know kevin sorbo because we worked with him uh, on a TV series that we're doing. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, it just, it just, like I, I said before, it just kind of all fell together in a way that, that, uh, that worked uh, pretty well in my humble opinion. Yeah. Uh, just to, 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 to piggyback on that, when we were going through casting, there was a lot of the, a lot of the roles just, you know, like Len said, it just sort of worked out. Like, with Robert, we were trying to figure out who to do with, uh, for Stalin, and, and Len one day was like, you know, Robert should play Stalin. If you look at his face, he actually looks like him, and then he did it, and I was like, oh, my God, that's perfect. So there was a lot of things like that, but, you know, when it came to casting older Bernie and one or two of the other real people, that was the hardest part because, you know, you think there's a million people that do an impression of Bernie, but there's not. Like, there's probably yeah. three people that do a great impression of older Bernie. You know, one of them is Larry David on SNL. Another one is this guy, Eric. I, I forget his last name. I'm sorry to Eric, who does, like, radio shows and stuff. And then another one is James Adomian, and that's about it. So it was really, really hard to find a great older Bernie. And I think that, um, Len, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that that was the, the last role that we finally hired for the entire film. And that was, like... I think a week or two before production started, everybody else was already in place, but that one was, was surprisingly hard. To yeah, have. no, you're, it was, it was the last piece to, to put together. And, you know, Charlie's great. He's a, he's got a shake a stage Shakespearean background. And, uh, and you know, we, we were scrambling to get his Bernie glasses uh, <laughs> for the shoot. In fact, for, and, and the very first scene that we shot was that scene with, uh, with Hillary and Bill Clinton and, uh, and the older, older Bernie and Jane, Elaine Ballance, uh, Ballance around around the conference table. So that was the very first scene that we shot. And anyway, it, uh, as I said, it, it it worked out pretty well. Well, and I would be remiss not to to leave out Sudana Bobatoon, who plays a young Maxine Waters. Oh. She is oh, yeah. impeccable 
impeccable as yeah. Maxine Waters. Um, yeah, uh, and, and I, and I, that, I and love that scene. Uh, person. Sorry. Sorry, Len, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying she's a delightful person, too, just a treasure and great to work yeah. with and couldn't be nicer. She liked the role so much she flew in from New York just for the day to shoot it out. Aww. And, uh, you know, we, yeah, we were just thrilled to have her. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say that I, I really loved shooting that scene with her because the way that she played it, there was a tenderness and an honesty to mm-hmm. it that I think was really fitting for that moment because while we're doing all this, like, silly stuff at the end of the day, you know, all stories, in addition to having to have a little kernel of truth in them, should have some sort of heart to them. Yeah. There should be some, you know, real emotional stuff in there, even if it's a comedy, and I thought... That was one opportunity we had to have like a genuinely sweet moment where it feels like she's just being nice to this guy yeah. who doesn't quite fit in and he's trying hard, but things aren't working out. And, you know, the way that she played it was just so sweet and so genuine. It was really it was really, really fun to get to do that with her um, because she just brings such like an honesty um, to her performance. I thought it was great. And I love that scene. I love yeah. that scene. Yeah, it, re- it really is filled with heart. Well, unfortunately, yeah. gentlemen, we are all out of time today. But before I let you go, where can, and when can everybody see Free Lunch Express? Sam? Well, um, yes, uh, it should be out uh, December 4th, pretty much everywhere that you can buy movies. So check out your favorite place to buy movies, which is, you know, iTunes. Um, Google Play, uh, the Amazon. It should be out everywhere. If it's not on your favorite site to buy movies, it'll be on one of the other ones. And it should be rolling out across more places soon after that. Now, will uh, will you be in, have any theatrical releases, or is this all going to be digital? Well, well we originally, initially, initially yeah, we yeah. shot the movie for a theatrical release, right? But because of because of COVID, it just no way. So. Uh, Plan B is to do VOD, and that's what's going to happen. And, you know, I think that people will be able to uh, enjoy this movie and the confines of their own home and laugh their rear ends off, I hope. This is a a great movie to see at home because there is so much comedy, and you want to be able to go back and watch watch parts of it over again um, because you're laughing so hard that that you're missing some of the dialogue the first Mm go-round. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And and, uh, and don't you think, though— we we need a comedy like this oh. at this point in time in our country. Yeah. Boy, oh boy, yeah. do we. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that's that's one thing that, that we that we talked a lot about when we were making it and you know, we heard a lot of it from the, the rest of the cast and the crew too, is that everybody just needs to laugh right now and especially to be able to laugh about politics when things have gotten so heated and everybody's so you know, on edge about everything to just give somebody a chance to like, look, let's laugh at everything. Let's relax. Let's have a little bit of fun. Here's some like fun silliness for you. We thought that, you know, it's pretty important to put something out like that now. So we're proud of it and we hope that people like it. Well, I sure like it. And I'm going to watch it again because it it, <laughs> it awesome. makes because you're laughing so hard it makes you feel good by the time the film ends i got to tell you that's awesome um, thank you so much guys thank you so much i hope you'll come back thank on the you. show again i would love yeah, to have you back pleasure. thank love you too. oh thank you and we'll say terrible things about you next week when elaine's on the show <laughs> <I'm sure. laughs> <All right>. okay <laughs> take care say, Thanks, say hi guys. say hi for us She's i great. will
<laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Lenny Britton and Sam Britton talking about Free Lunch Express, December 4th. You can find it everywhere. It is hilarious. And that is all the time we have today. Again, if you haven't seen Fat Man, see it, see it, see it. Put Free Lunch Express on your calendar. There's a, another film that opened on Friday that I've got to t- I just want to briefly mention to you. Echo Boomers. It's on VOD and digital. It is, it's based on a true story about a group of 20-somethings that, uh, they were a crime ring that went around breaking in, into homes, trashing them, stealing art, and, and fencing them. Uh, it's really interesting. The cast is great. Patrick Schwarzenegger is the lead actor in it, and I gotta tell you, he is really good. But it's got Patrick, it's got Giles Geary, Haley Law, uh, Alex Pettifer, and those of you that know me know I'm not a huge Pettifer fan. He's perfectly cast here, fills the role great. And of course, Michael Shannon and Leslie Ann Warren. So check out Echo Boomers. Uh, actually, later this week, you're going to be able to find on BehindTheLensOnline.net my exclusive in-depth interview with Dara Taylor, the composer who did the score for Echo Boomers. And also a documentary that I'm in love with um, that I can't recommend highly enough, Cowboys, a documentary portrait. And it is all about cowboying in the United States today. It's from Bud Forrest and John Langmore. It is stupendous. And we'll be talking more about that in the future. And my interview will also be up on BehindTheLensOnline.net. So, that is all the time we have. Elaine Ballas will be here next week. We're going to talk about what she's up to, along with more on Free Lunch Express. And until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 